Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Ayo! Thursday. Pretty sure that's what day it is. Ayo Thursday. May the 11th. Happy uh, 74th birthday to my late father. I don't know. It's on my mind. It's on my mind. You miss you miss folks every once in a while. But happy Thursday. Uh, off-season episode 24 here on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris. This, of course, is a Sports Ethos presentation. SportsEthos.com. Ethos Fantasy BK at Dan Bespris is where you can find me on the Twitterses. You know, as long as it's upright. So I know we have all of these series we're working on on the show right now we've got the team review series which what did I, what, what did we do last utah we did utah was that yesterday i don't even remember we've got the how did yahoo's pre-rank series going on we've been working through the playoff stuff i know there's like all these things we've got but at I woke up today and I thought, I don't really want to do a team review. And then I said, I don't really want to do the how did Yahoo's pre-ranks do? Because, I don't know, it felt like something that maybe would be more fun to do on a Friday, take us through the weekend. Everybody just sitting on numbers and data and trying to figure out what the hell it all means, man. What does it all mean, man? So instead, as I was sitting here, staring at my computer screen, I thought, you know what? I kind of want to do a lesson learned. We haven't done a lesson learned show in a while. And there's one that we've talked about in the past, but I, I kind of want to do what would end up being almost like a corollary to the lesson learned. So let me explain myself. The lesson learned, and one that we've done, I think, more than once, actually, uh, during our our early off season, whatever you want to call this part of the the podcasting year, I and that and that previous topic was usage is value. That was a lesson learned show we've done a couple of times actually, and and usually we sort of point to the fact that. A guy either gaining usage, losing usage, whatever it might be, that is typically runs in parallel with their fantasy value. It's not always the case. There's there's outliers, as is generally the case with everything you want to analyze in fantasy sports or just life. There's always this this is the concept of spin. They talk about how to put a spin on something. You cherry pick the data you want and you say, well, but look at this. I don't even there I feel like Tobias Harris is your example of somebody who saw his usage go down and then for a while his value was up earlier this year but just like everybody else it settled back where it belonged Super durable as per usual but you know Tobias like near 60 remember he was rolling in the 30s for a while this year settled back last half of the season he was more like a top 90 100 sometimes even later than that kind of play so even if you even if you can kind of cherry pick a situation where something worked part of the time or even longer, I don't know, there wasn't an example this season, but there have been in the past 
of a guy who sees his usage decrease and his value go up a little bit. There are more examples of a player whose usage goes up and his value goes down. Keldon Johnson would be an example of that this year. But it's pretty easy to trace why certain, like, that type of thing happened. Keldon Johnson, bad percentages guy, uh, stopped rebounding when they shifted him to small forward. And so you put those two things together, and they counterweighted the extra scoring and threes that he got out of the boost in usage. Normally when a guy gets a usage boost, you hope that they're going to get scoring, threes, If they're good at either of the percentages, you hope that that sort of balances out with the one that's that's poor. But, I mean, you can do that, Matthew. You look at the percentages they had the year before and then probably tick the field goal percent down a little bit. Usually as guys take more shots, the usage goes the opposite direction. Or the uh, field goal percent goes the opposite direction. Not always. Larry Markkinen, he was better from the field with more usage this year. But, you know, I figure the turnovers will go up a little bit. You think the assists should go up a little bit. So between scoring and threes and assists, and hopefully the percentages end up as like a slight positive, that would counterweight the lowering or the worsening in turnovers. And, you know, if one of the percentages was a bad one, that would go the other way. But typically, more things improve with higher usage than things devolve. If you have a guy like a Keldon Johnson, where both percentages are bad, the scoring, the threes going up, counterweighted by the percentages and turnovers going in the wrong direction and then rebounding for other reasons went the wrong direction you had four things going the wrong way and two things going the right way so even if the two things going up were bigger than the dip on the other side it still ended up hurting but by and large the more someone does the better their fantasy value 95 percent of the time or more shea gilgis alexander did more better value Obviously with him. Both percentages were good, so that certainly helps the case, but easy example. Halliburton did more, better value. You can go all the way down the board. Every example except for those select few. Somebody did more, their value went up. Markinen did more, value up. Miles Turner did more, value up. Brooke Lopez this year. Silly example, but it's the truth. Ananobi, Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards, up and down the board. You do more, your value goes up. Seems very simple at its face, and yet we twist ourselves into knots to disprove this phenomenon every year somehow. I don't know why we do it, but we do. So the thing I want to focus on today in this topic where usage is value is why we continue to doubt ourselves in the highest profile of these situations the lower profile ones we almost never doubt ourselves you know i'm like trying to think of a couple examples from this season buddy healed you knew he was going to do more in indiana than he did towards the end of his Statures is time in Sacramento. Value went up. As Desmond Bain, I know he was hurt a bunch, but as he's done more, value's gone up. It's all very simple, you know? Staring you right in the face. 
And here's a funny one. Nikola Jokic, who still finished number one, didn't have to do as much this year because Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were back around. So Jokic, who took almost 18 shots a game last year, was down to under 16 this season. And obviously he was still amazing, 25, 12, and 10. But last year it was 27, 14, and 8. And so his value, at least compared to the field, was higher. It just was. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. That's despite the fact, by the way, that his field goal percent was actually better this year. But you take away some shots. His usage didn't change that much because he was still the focal point of the offense. But the rebounding came down a little bit. He just didn't have to do quite as many things. It was small. He's a smaller example of someone that kind of came back to the pack a little bit. You know, last year he lapped everybody by like a player and a quarter. Separation between Jokic and the rest of the field was crazy. If you had Jokic on your team last season, you were basically top three in your fantasy league and you didn't even have to worry about anything else. This year, you needed to actually build a team around him. It was an edge, yes, to have the number one player, but, you know, Shea was close, Embiid was close, Anthony Davis, when he was upright, was close. Not the point. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is, with the, with the lower-profile situations, that's almost all we're ever doing on Fantasy Draft Night. We're trying to find guys that are around the fringe that are going to see an uptick in usage, and then we draft them. That's basically the name of the game for every pick you're making after, like, pick 70. Hey, can we find somebody who's going to do more stuff after pick 70? Who's that going to be? was Terry Rozier a couple years ago, and, you know, Markel Fultz was an example this season, and Conley and Kevin Herter was someone who saw a big uptick in usage this year. So you're, like, hunting fringe guys who have better-than-expected usage in that range, and yet up near the top of the draft, we contort ourselves, we twist, we bend to try to figure out a way to say, no, that's not going to happen to my guy. My guy's special. My guy's different. But here I am. I sit I every, every day on this show. I rant and rave about how I want to try to simplify fantasy sports, which should basically just mean you take the higher probability route. The path of least damn resistance this is just laid out there in front of you. 
paved in something shiny to make it a little extra obvious. And we, f- we try to find a way to go the other direction. It's a little bit of that smartest guy in the room phenomenon. And I want to make this about me because anytime anybody listens to a podcast where something negative is said, immediately half of the listeners are like, ooh, who's he picking on? Nobody, you jerks. I don't know what the hell anybody else did. I, honest to God, wish I had time to know what anybody else was doing in the fantasy space right now. I have no clue. I am buried under a mountain of child illnesses and logistical questions. You guys know this by now. If I had time, this damn show would be on YouTube. So this is about me. I'm going to make this about me and us and things that we've done on this podcast or things that we've done at Sports Ethos. Okay? Nobody's getting picked on. Hate that crap. I ain't got time for it. DeJounte Murray is the name that I'm going to lob out there because... Okay, well, keep that in the back of your head. Keep keep DeJounte in the back of your head for a moment because that's where we're going to loop back around to. The corollary, I didn't even really say what it was. The corollary that we're talking about today on the usages value phenomenon is the following. When high usage players, particularly ones of similar ilk or size or position on the basketball court, come together... Someone, with an S in parentheses at the end, someone or someones will suffer the consequences in fantasy. It's just the way the damn thing works. I don't care how many times we try to contort ourselves, that's just the way it works. So, DeJounte Murray is where I want to start our discussion. Because when the trade went down, now I don't even want to look at the ADP stuff, because remember DeJounte's ADP was like 9 when he was in San Antonio, and then the trade happened, and he dropped to, like, 35, and everybody was like, oh, that seems late. Or maybe it was, like, 29 or 30. And then it jumped back up to 17, and then it settled at, like, 21 or 22. So all of that was going on. DeJounte Murray's ADP was bouncing all over the map and back. And I'm staring at it like, what's the right spot for him? We know he's going to take a hit. We don't know how much. There was a reasonable argument to be made on DeJounte that because he was a high rebounding guy and high steals guy in San Antonio, that what he lost on the usage front, he could sort of buttress with what he's able to do in other parts of his game. And maybe there would have been uh, a little, like a minor efficiency bump that would cover that stuff up. But field goal percent stayed exactly the same. He went from 18 and change shots last year to just about 18. Shots stayed about the same. Assists dropped by three. That's where the usage mostly peeled off. Steals were down from 2 to 1.5, which, you know, again, there's a position defense element to that. There's a law of large numbers element to that, whatever you want to call it. Rebounding was down because he was on a team that had multiple guys that could go get a board. John Collins, Clint Capella, Anika Okongwu. There just wasn't quite the same opportunity for him to be in a you-get-it-and-you-go kind of scenario. So his boards were down from 8 to more like 6. Assists were down from 9 to 6. 
Steals was sort of the weird one. I don't know that we can explain that one away. But instead of saying, this guy's going to take a hit, let's just not go down that path. Somewhere along the way, I personally, and I know uh, some others here at Ethos, and I'm sure some others across the landscape, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm making this about me. I personally went from, I don't really want to deal with that situation, to, well, how late is too late? The problem, of course, is that you never fully know the hit a player is going to take when they join up with a another high-usage player that falls into their same general window. Trey Young, on the other side, is another brilliant example of this. Now, with Trey, you could say that the three-point shot just abandoned him, and that was largely like what went away for Trey because the assists stayed high. The field goal percent fell off a map, 46 down to 42 and change. That was the big thing with him. Scoring came down, um, but again, I think a lot of that was just if he had made the same percentage of shots year over year, you wouldn't have seen that change quite so much. I think he took like about 0.8 fewer shots per game, so not that not that big of a difference. And the assists were actually higher. So the usage for Trey didn't change all that much, but the shooting did. There was no way to know that Young was going to fall from number 10 to number 43. That was... Uh, I think, a pretty big surprise. But we knew there was going to be some kind of drop-off. There's always something. You know, it's easy to look at these numbers and say, Dan, it wasn't even the usage thing that screwed these guys up. Okay, fine. Like, I'll accept that premise. Even if the usage stays the same, the way that it occurs is different. So instead of, I, you know, and I don't, I'm not a proponent of having a do not draft list. I think that's wrong. And there's obviously a point at which any of these guys would fall far enough where you should take a look at them again. But trying to figure out where that point is, I think you're, it's that, I, I said it so many times during the season. I don't know, man. It's this, it's the Stifler line for American Pie. That sounds like a lot of work. I don't know, man. That sounds like a lot of work. It's so much work to try to figure out the exact pivot point where these guys become value plays again. Are they getting drafted too late? Very infrequently, for big-name players, do they fall far enough? As it turns out, DeJounte Murray did not fall far enough. It wasn't by a lot. He was, like, just a little bit behind where uh, his ADP settled at the end of it all. I think his ADP was, like, 21 or 22. And on a per-game basis, he was, like, late 20s, early 30s, something like that. But he was behind it. And Trey was getting drafted on the turn, and he finished at, what was it, 49? I mean, that's a, bit, that's a huge miss. So... It almost doesn't matter. I know this is kind of a stupid way to end that part of the discussion, but it almost doesn't matter how they get down to where they end up. They just find a way to get down where they end up. Whether it's the usage going elsewhere or the way that they play changing or just disjointed three months of basketball before figuring out how to play with someone else. Another 
tremendous example of this, and I know where you guys are all going. You're all just sitting out there yelling about at me about Donovan Mitchell right now, which is fair. Cat and Rudy Gobert. How about Cat and Rudy Gobert? Where the hell were they this year? Way down the board. I know Cat had his injury, and so the minutes were sort of artificially de- depressed, but he finished at number 37 on a per-game basis this season. And he was in the 20s even before he got hurt. And Gobert, I mean, you got to go way the hell down the board. He was number 58. This is a guy that was just locked in as a 20-some-odd range guy in Utah. But his job was different. His minutes didn't have to be as high when Cat was on the floor. It could have been worse for Rudy. Cat was gone for most of the season, so he was basically unabated at that center spot. But Cat needed to play center minutes, some of them in there. They had to stretch the floor a bit, and, and that was going to come at the expense of Gobert. His blocks were down, his rebounds were down, everything was down. And then we turned to the one situation where it wasn't a complete disaster, and that was Donovan Mitchell joining up with Darius Garland. But what happened there is that Donovan Mitchell basically just took the team. Donovan Mitchell said, you know what? I'm still going to take 21 shots a game. And not only that, because uh, Spida finished like around the turn when everything was basically done, I think it was number 15, uh, how many shots per game did did Donovan take the year before? He was 25, by the way, last year. So, you know, it wasn't like it was this colossal jump forward, but his shot stayed exactly the same. 20.6. Steals came down a tiny bit. Efficiency went up. It's not entirely clear why the efficiency was so high. It did level off a bit. Remember, he was shooting at 50% for a long stretch, and then he kind of came back down to earth later. But he put so much 50% into the bucket that even the slow conclusion of the year... Well, again, not slow. That's not a fair assessment of of how Donovan finished the year um, because he took more shots down the stretch, actually, if you can can believe that. Uh, But he started shooting a little bit closer to where it had been in the past. Not all the way down, you know, more like, you know, 46, 47 instead of 51 or 52. But overall, you know, not forget splitting hairs on Donovan Mitchell. He just took the team. So he saw basically no change. His field goal percent was an aberration, I think, on the high side. I'd be pretty surprised if he shot 49% again next year. But you never know, I guess. And then it was Darius Garland that kind of took it on the chin when everybody thought they saw him turning a corner towards the end of the previous year. Remember, he was on a top 20-some-odd run, and then this year he finished back towards the edge of the top 50. So that's fine. You can say, hey, look, Dan, Donovan Mitchell, you know, he didn't take the hit. You would not be wrong. But at the same time, he was basically getting drafted where he finished the previous year. There wasn't really a big gaping opportunity for him to outperform it. Now, he did. His ADP was 25, and he outperformed it by about 9, 10 slots. So that does end up being a win there, and it's hard to get a win at the beginning of the third round. So he's very much a hit. But, again, that's your best-case scenario. A big-name guy going to a new situation and just becoming the alpha. Which, look, honestly, we knew that wasn't going to be the case with DeJounte Murray. That was an easy one to see. We, I, 
Those of us that drafted DeJounte, I only had him in one place, which I feel somewhat fortunate about because he was a little bit frustrating. At least he was, mo- at least he was mostly healthy this year, so that was useful. Um, but where we got suckered in a little bit was like, well, you know, even if the scoring and the assist take a hit, at least he's got this other stuff. The way we need to approach these types of situations, and something like this happens seemingly every single offseason, and frankly, we're going to be talking about this with Phoenix next year because we really didn't get a chance to see the Suns with both Booker and Durant upright for more than like a week and a half. But that's the same kind of situation. Does either one of those guys just become the guy like Donovan Mitchell did? Or does it become more like what you saw in Atlanta, where each guy still got a pretty damn good chunk of usage, but it just wasn't quite the same? Curious to see if anything else like this shakes out in the offseason. I know that the free agent class is not like bursting at the seams here, but what if Kyrie goes somewhere? We've seen him excel as the number two guy, so we kind of already know what that would be like. But what about where he goes? What about the other guy? What about Luka, if that's where he sticks? All right, let's talk a little bit of playoffs here. I don't know why I wanted to launch into this spiel. I guess I'm just annoyed that when the trade went down, I was like, yeah, I don't want any part of those go- those guys. And then as time passed, I was like, hmm, maybe I can talk myself into this one. Damn it, Dan. Sixers up three games to two, trying to finish off the Celtics in Philadelphia. Boston two-point road favorites. That's a relatively accurate line. Sixers, um, sorry, total is at 213. It's down a little from 214 and a half. This is the will Boston have anything to prove game because they did not look like they wanted to be there in game five. That was super weird. There's something to be said for having a guy like Embiid that even as a series gets long and drawn out, as long as he's healthy-ish, he makes life harder and harder and harder on the other team. Because there just isn't a thing you can do with him other than to just get beat up. Now, with Harden, there's things you can do. Uh, Philly is better when he's the beta on that team. And I know he had to explode to win a couple of these ball games, But the the way that Philly won Game 5 was kind of the way that they drew it up, which is Embiid wears down the opposing defensive line kind of thing. It's very run game in football analogous. And then everybody else is able to kind of play off of that. Tyrese Maxey had a big ball game. That was useful. Tobias Harris played well. I mean, that was... You saw Philly basically play their, play their best game maybe of the season. It's a weird thing to say, but it might actually be true. Uh, I don't like the side in this one because I don't really know if Boston's going to wake up. I think I would probably lean Philadelphia if you told me to take a side and I'd probably take them on the money line because what's two points really worth to me although we have since I've had some close ones in this series total of 213 feels um relatively accurate Philly likes to slow it down not a ton of possessions they overperform their number by shooting the ball really well and making a lot of their free throws there were actually a ton of free throws on both sides in that ball game Boston did not shoot the ball well uh and they underperformed a tad I, I think this total's pretty accurate but I would lean towards the under because I think you're going to see Boston come out with a, a bit more vim on defense 
And then the Sixers have been you know, relatively solid on defense but as much as you can be in this series. So slightly into the under, slightly into the Sixers on the money line. And then Nuggets, Suns. I've seen nothing to suggest that a team is going to win a road game in this series so far. So I would lean to the Suns. They're only laying three points. That's not much. Um, I don't know what the money line price is on them, but you could certainly look at it. I'd probably prefer to lay the three. Total of 226. All right, the last one finished at 220. I just kept saying, like, you're basically just betting on whether or not Booker and Jamal Murray have efficient shooting games. If they don't, it goes under, which it did in the last one. If they do, it goes over. It's really hard to know which one you're going to get. Feels like Booker is sort of due to slow a tad, but at the same time, we saw Phoenix put us some gaudy offensive numbers in their place, and we saw Denver really not locked in as deep on defense on the road. So, uh, I don't know that I'm touching the total there, but I'd probably just kind of wink at the over. Probably leaving it alone, though. As you get deeper into a series, games do tend to slow down. Um, game sixes and sevens. Seven in particular, I always look at the under. Six, you're sort of like half looking at the under. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, with each of these things. As far as what happened yesterday, we'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show when we kind of profile everything through the weekend. We may even have uh, a team in the finals, conference finals by then. But I don't want to get too much into it today. That's that's uh, Those are goodies for the, the Friday week wrap-up edition here on Fantasy NBA Today. All right, friends, remember, as we go towards next year, don't let me or us or anyone talk you into taking a chance on a high-usage guy being mushed in with another one. And, I, and we'll wait and see. Like, maybe there will be a serious alpha like a Donovan Mitchell that changes places and we can try to isolate that guy. But overall, the ratio of five out of six of those guys taking a step back, not uncommon. You could be the smartest guy in the room and get Donovan Mitchell, but you know what you could have also gotten there? Jimmy Butler, and you wouldn't have to worry about it. I know you guys are going to hate me for saying that. Oh, I'm going to get yelled at for that one. Regular season Jimmy Butler was good this year, guys. Finished inside the top 10 by totals. Don't forget it. But also, don't forget to have a great Thursday. I like doing these half an hour shows. This is easy. <laughs> I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Tomorrow we got all sorts of promo stuff to tell you about as well. Don't let me forget. Have a great Thursday, everyone. We'll talk to you on free day.